Namaste, everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Mehra. All right. Today's podcast is based on a report. Uh, let me pull that report up on the screen for your benefit. So the report is called Anti-Hindu Hate in Schools by Charlotte Littlewood. Uh, this is being published by the Henry Jackson Society. And to talk about it, I have with me Charlotte. Charlotte, welcome back on the podcast. Thank you again, Kushal, for having me on. It's always wonderful to speak to you. All right, Charlotte. So before we get into the subject matter itself, uh, for 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 transparency, because I believe I, it's always better to have. So what was the methodology of the report? So how did you go about collecting your data? What were the indices that were looked at? And what was the entire methodology? Absolutely. So, I mean, this report is actually somewhat of a series. So we've been looking at uh, minority discrimination in schools. We did a report earlier in the year that looked at anti-Semitism in schools. We're picking to uh, look at underreported forms of discrimination. So there was a, a really good study done by the YMCA that looked at anti-Black racism in schools, very thorough. Um, there's been study into anti-Muslim racism in schools. So we looked at anti-Semitism at the big, actually the end of last year. And we followed the similar methodology to that project, which was to send freedom of information requests, which is a, a request for information that uh, you're legally obliged to respond to. So we sent freedom of information requests out to all the schools in England. And then we narrowed down the results to those that had Hindu pupils. And then from that, we took a purposive sample of 1000 schools. Um, and what we, we learnt from the Freedom of Information request, which asked whether there had been any anti-Hindu hate uh, bullying instances in schools in the last five years, and it described what that might look like, um, and it came out as less than 1% of records of anti-Hindu tagged to any form of bullying or discrimination in the school. Um, so Freedom of Information requests to the schools, less than 1%, saying that there's been any issue at all. Then we looked at surveying Hindu parents. So we sent out um, surveys through uh, community groups, parent groups, uh, Hindu temples and organisations across the UK. So it was a national study. And we had 988 respondents. And within that, the Hindu parents surveyed said that 51% of them their children had reported some form of anti-Hindu hate incident in school. So what this tells us, which is very different to the results we got with anti-Semitism, by the way, what this tells us is that there is a, a large scale uh, issue manifesting in schools and the schools are not noticing and recognising that at all or reporting on it. Then when you, when you go into what is uh, being reported, some of the parents opted to give sort of case descriptions we get into really harrowing descriptions of, of what is happening and we look at their confidence in the schools and it's very low um, I'm sure you're, you're going to want to to ask me about the, di the different incidences um, but that's yeah that's how we did the study so FOI and then a large-scale survey. So when this survey is done, what kind of questions are asked, if you don't mind, because I know it's part of your report, but just for, for an example, like what kind of a back and forth is done? Uh, because uh, uh, one of the um, 
criticisms that could be leveled and and uh, often i do too because one of the problems with surveys like these is that it, they are very uh, driven on the basis of what kind of questions you are going to ask because uh, for example what if somebody asks a loaded question so you're always going to get a certain kind of answer right yeah absolutely so i mean the survey started off with the ethical considerations um so we ensured that we weren't going to disclose any information about the children or the parents or the schools um and then we asked if their child had faced any kind of anti-hindu bullying in school in the last five years that was a simple yes or no it had a few examples whether that would be mocking of hindu cultural dress or attire or whether that would be mocking of hindu practices um and then that was a yes no and then we moved on to if if you'd said yes would you volunteer details of any cases that was optional because we had to consider the well-being of the participants and um requiring them to detail things could be could be stressful so that was an optional question um and again reiterating do not give any way any personal details anything that could disclose who they were or where they lived um and then we moved on to what do you think schools could be doing uh our schools well we started with you did they think that schools were able to identify the issue then did they we think that schools were able to tackle the issue and then what do you think schools could be doing better and then a final section for any additional comments that parents wanted to make so it was it was a short and sweet survey the the questions that we wanted answers were to well, is there an issue and how do parents yeah the, the the survey was um meant to be concise so that we could have as many respondents as possible um and the main aim was to find out if they felt that their child had suffered any anti-hindu hate at school if they had the the confidence and the will to, to share that with us then that was wonderful um because we were able to get a real insight there and then what do they think the schools could be doing to improve their approach all right so there's one specific thing in the report where and i'm going to put it up on the screen too for the benefit of everyone um so you guys say understanding and identifying anti-Hindu hate. The study relies on the McPherson principle. The principle states that complaints about incidents of racism should be recorded um, and investigated as such when they are perceived by the complainant or someone else to be acts of racism. In essence, reports of racism are to be taken in good faith. Uh, could you elaborate a little bit on this? Because I want to understand this. Yeah, so the McPherson principle is something that we have had in the UK since um, issues of anti-black racism were not being taken seriously by the police um, in the UK. And, and the McPherson pr principle is used when we're looking at issues of, of racism. It's been used to look at claims of anti-Semitism as well. And in essence, it means that when a claim is made, we take it in good faith. Then we come from that point before we, like if it's a police investigation, that it will be taken in good faith first and then and then investigated rather than negated on the offset as oh this is some kind of political agenda or this is this has been falsified for some ulterior motive no what we do is we look at it and we say this claim has been made in good faith and then we look at the evidence all right so but it it is so 
how would you define it still like what does what gets classified as uh, anti hindu hate and, and 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 let me express why i am saying this is because uh the way anti semitism is defined the way let's say islamophobia is defined the way let's say you know anti christian christianity or christian attitudes are defined come from a certain way of looking at the world which is uh, i don't know how to say it's very judeo christian they they look at a in a judeo christian way now hindu families and hindu kids and hindu uh, uh hindu cultures are different so when you were in the process of defining what qualifies as anti hindu so how would you decide this is anti hinduism and this is not so we we relied on a number of different uh, definitions and approaches in the report um but in essence what we were looking at was whether hindu children were being discriminated on account of their hinduism um and whether they were being held accountable for example for actions of the indian state that might be perceived as negative british hindu peoples for example being bullied because of perceived actions of 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 modi in india we were seeing that um issues around the differences in the beliefs and bullying around multiple gods polytheism to telling them that they're involved in idol worship that they're going to go to hell in essence any attack on someone on their personhood um we consider to be a, a prejudice like a racial prejudice or religious prejudice um so we used a number of different approaches and combined that together and we had examples that we gave to teachers and that we gave to those in the survey to be able to understand that you know is someone being bullied repetitively um because of their dress or their attire that's connected to being hindu or their diet that's connected to them being hindu so for example having beef thrown at a young woman on account of them being hindu you could say that that was just someone having food thrown at them but if they're having beef thrown at them because they're hindu because of the sacredity of the cow that then becomes anti hindu rather than uh someone having food thrown at them in a the kitchen okay so this is a very tangible criteria where you can find it but sometimes and and i'm not speaking about it in the sense of microaggressions or anything sometimes it's very hard for people to even understand that x or y could actually bother um hindus uh, uh like a lot of times certain words are used on social media for hindu kids i mean i face it by the way i mean i get called a cow piss drinker almost daily so so did you guys like classify or categorize this into on digital social media uh, digital hatred uh, real life hatred were there different criterion were you guys measuring that uh, what was that uh, report that had come out i forgot the organization in america i think uh, they also did an online analysis of anti hindu hate so did you guys yeah. use uh, some of that criteria too um so what we did was we took that the detailed responses and we broke them down into categories we didn't look at whether they were online or in the classroom I mean, we were talking about anti hindu hate in school so we would expect that that's playing out actually peer on peer in school um we didn't ask that but what we did look at was 
what types of cases have been described and whether they were coming from a right-wing xenophobic ideology, whether they were coming from a Christian supremacist ideology or whether they were coming from an Islamic supremacist ideology. Um, and that was really interesting, actually tagging the responses according to the kind of cases and the kind of ideology that was driving the hatred. And what we found was that the that Hindus are facing issues because of a multiplicity of ideologies. So we found xenophobic hatred on account of skin colour and curry eating and kind of, I hate to say this, but sort of like typical uh, racism that the school would be very well versed in identifying and dealing with. Then um, Christian supremacist approaches. Basically, we had an incident of, of someone saying to a peer, oh, you can't come into church because you're a Hindu and you worship multiple gods. And uh, another child told, oh, your, your gods are going to burn in, in the hellfire um, unless you come to know Jesus. Um, and then we had something that was really worrying. And this this was sort of the the main of the responses. So when we broke them down into categories, not every single case was able to give us a sense of who, who right, was driving the the hatred. But when they did, we had double the amount of those coming from Muslim peers than we did white Christian. And within the cases that described uh, Muslim peers saying something, it was things like um, convert and the bullying will stop, encouragement to engage with radical extreme preachers, um, and use of words like kafir, again, slurs, like you said, kafir drinkers, which um, are coming is, is a slur that is coming from the subcontinent because of conflict there, rather than something that's growing organically in the UK. Um, so what we noted was a um, multiple factor uh, hatred, essentially, right? coming from multiple ideologies. Um, <clears throat> and then we obviously really can concerning is the schools are then not picking up on this and it, it's really really sad to see and to say but it looks like the actual teaching on Hinduism is feeding into the the bigotry and feeding into what we're seeing in the classroom and in fact a couple of the cases said that directly after classes on Hinduism the bullying would increase because the teaching is coming from sort of an Abrahamic faith lens and in fact is quite colonial in its approach and it's sort of saying you know that the, the Abrahamic religions are more true they're monotheistic they're given more um, respect and then Hinduism is being taught from that Abrahamic position so it looks at the gods first rather than looking at what really Hinduism is I, I mean I even remember actually as a child learning about Hinduism and my lessons the resounding memory of my lessons as a child in Hinduism was just drawing the different gods and colouring them in. Uh, so this this kind of approach, this God's monotheistic sort of God-centred approach to learning is then also feeding into the bigotry and the bias that we're seeing in the classroom. That's very interesting because there is a section in your report that you've called Abrahamic Othering. And I, I want to focus and spend some time on this aspect because I think that is a core issue that a lot of Hindus have been trying to explain to this. And so very funny way I had, you know, a very nice guy, a Pakistani stand-up comic who came to my podcast. And I told him, like, sometimes monotheists don't get it that, you know, they would say casual things like, oh, you're going to hell. 
you know, to to a to a person who's not from a monotheistic background in that sense, because yeah. their their concept is very different from where they come, and these things can in a multicultural society. Now, if you're living in a society that just has one religion or a religion and different sects of it, it's fine. Or a religion and or all three Abrahamic religions, even they would understand that. But because of the sheer magnanimity of the way of looking at the world for example in the case of abrahamic religion the creator and the creation are distinctly different right they're not the same the creator and the, it's it's very dualistic in its way of looking at reality i'm talking about the religion i mean i, I personally don't believe in a, any divine claims but but with hinduism it's very different like the most of hinduism that is practiced today although there is dualism in hinduism but the mainstream hinduism that is dominating today is advaita and in Advaita, the creator and the creation are one. So we have the saying in Sanskrit, it's called Am Brahmasmi. I am one. I am one with the creation or the creator. Everything is one. Now, in such a scenario, it is very different for a Hindu kid going there. Uh, and another major difference is Hindu kids, by and large, uh, not only just me, I have rarely met a Hindu kid who was not taught that. Uh, what I call milk toast Hinduism. Look, there's milk toast Islam, there's milk toast Christianity. Everybody has a milk toast feeble version. The milk toast Hindu version is all gods are gods. So you can pray to Jesus, you can pray to Allah, you can do whatever you want to do. You, you, the Hindu kid will be taught that. But the problem is the Abrahamic kid will not be taught that because the Abrahamic kid in the, and I'm not saying that they are to be blamed. If you ask me from where I'm coming from, they're being brainwashed. In that sense, right? And they, yeah. but how how does one deal with this conundrum? Because you can't say, oh, Abrahamic religions can't teach that. But then, how does one sensitize them to there could be other realities too or truth claims? Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think it's really difficult, and I think you know we're already starting on the back foot when, as you said, the conceptual side of things is very difficult. Um, if you've all, all only known and been brought up in an Abrahamic faith culture, how are you going to conceptualize something that the thinking is completely different? You have to completely change your frame of thinking. So that makes it that makes it very difficult. Difficult. But then you've got, as you said, the issue that the Abrahamic faiths. I think also another thing to add to what you said: they're also proselytizing. Right? They're also wanting to spread, and Hinduism is, is not in the same way. So you've got one set of thinking which lends itself to supremacism lends itself to aggressive pushing um whilst the other doesn't that that lends to issues too but i think it's about you can have different opinions you can have different wants on your religion and and what your religion should be and whether it should spread but you have to respect and tolerate tolerate each other and that's what we need to foster in the classroom is that you can be on the other side of the fence on things. But actually, human on human, you have to tolerate each other. There has to be a zero tolerance to violence, zero tolerance to discrimination, racism, prejudice, and hate. Um, you know, otherwise we're we're screwed in the UK. You know, we're on an up upward trajectory of diversity here. Um, we've got a, a whole melting pot of cultures and religions. Um, so it's vital that the fundamental core is that we tolerate and respect one another, even if we disagree. So, so, I mean, how do we get out of this mess? I'm genuinely trying to be, you know, sympathetic to the other side also, because look, if you are a Christian, 
or if you are a Muslim, I mean, your religion says the other side is going to hell. <laughs> it is what it is. I mean, they didn't make it, right? They were born in a system. And, you know, as existentialism says that, uh, you know, you're just born in a running train, kind of existentialist philosophy talks about it. And sometimes decisions are made for you and you're just hopping onto the train and you're taking the ride. Yeah, you might make a tweak here and there, but this is kind of a fundamental thing. And uh, idolatry, which is something that uh, Hindus do a lot of, is again, like in Islam, for example, it's called shirk. It's it's not a good thing. And I mean, the Quran is quite clear. I'm not saying Hindu texts don't say bad things. I mean, before somebody accuses me of something, uh, I'm kind of known for, uh, you know, attacking all religions. But the point is that this is a fundamental problem. Like, it's very interesting that, again, I'm not saying you're wrong to use that word. You use the correct word because of a uniquely Abrahamic problem. And I want to use something of, uh, of uh, a Hindu scholar, Rajiv Balotra. And he talks about this tolerance. Like, the only thing an Abrahamic society, when I say an Abrahamic society, a society where Abrahamic religions are the majority, even though they are secular, is actually tolerance is because of the binary nature. But just think about it. Like, Charlotte, you and I, if I'm in London and you and I meet over coffee and then I tell you, Charlotte, I'm tolerating you on this coffee table. You see how condescending that sounds. You see what I'm trying to say? It's very condescending at its core. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But I think that's the best we can hope for, you know, because you, you've, you've said it that at the core of these faiths is a we are the one way and every other way is wrong and beyond that i mean that that's that's between the abrahamic faiths but actually as you said from the abrahamic faiths looking towards non-abrahamic faiths there is absolute condemnation in the text and that's understandable because that's how the texts were created you know it was out of these ancient religions created this new way of being and in order to form that and carve that out of the society it had to condemn and damn the old and bring in the new and and that's what's written into the texts and it, it's we can't be thought police you know you can't control what people are thinking and we cannot uh, change what's written in these texts and we cannot you know ban religion so <laughs> what what you can do not that i'm advocating for that uh, what you can do is you can ensure that people behave well with each other and that you have laws in place that ensures equality and tolerance. Uh, it, it sounds like a condescending word, but I do think that's the best we can do in a in a society where the the texts are in parts hateful of one another, and we have to deal with people that fundamentally believe in those texts and put those texts above the law. Christians do that too, you know. They put that faith above the law. God's law is is more than man's law. So what we have to do in the UK is have the rule of law, we're all under it, our individual liberties, our quality, tolerance, cohesion, all these fundamental values, absolutely ingrained and confidently defended. And I think that's where we run into trouble in the UK is that confident defense of these values in the face of religious minority aggression. So when we're really pushing for things like equality and tolerance, when we're looking at issues like anti-Semitism, anti-Hindu, LGBT, we're running into head-on sections, extreme sections of the Muslim community that are very vocal and that have political currency. Um, so we, you know, I, I, I go back to our tolerance, equality and cohesion. I just think that's where we have to exist. That's what we have to foster and we have to be really brave about it. And that is difficult.
Yeah, because uh, from where I come from, um, and I always say this to my friends in in, in the West uh, who don't come from Hindu backgrounds, is I was like, I think you know you must be one of the first people who's actually started understanding this culture, this side of the world, and that's why you've come to empathize with the plight of Hindu kids is because, oh my God, their whole worldview is completely opposite to the Judeo-Christian or Abrahamic worldview. So for them to even hear things like this is actually kind of triggering and it's extremely depressing for them to, you know, like, you know, imagine you're a small kid in school. You're like a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old. You're having a casual conversation and your friend whom you play cricket or, or or football with. Luckily, I don't have to use any other analogy with a Britisher because you would get cricket. Uh, otherwise, you know, American is what the hell is cricket? That That's another uh, problem. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and that person would say, oh, you're going to hell. It could really damage a Hindu kid. And, and I know this for a fact because I have family outside India. They ha- Their children have faced this. The child comes home crying like these people are saying i'm going to hell am i going to hell did i commit something wrong so how does one because at its core religions are truth claims they're not the truth i say this with full responsibility uh and if it hurts somebody who is devoutly religious well too bad let you be hurt i am saying this religions are truth claims they're not truths including what hinduism claims these are truth claims now how does one then go and tell young children that kids, when you come to the school, you might have something taught to you at home. And that's fine. That's your personal life. But over here, we are going to respect all truth claims. And science is the ultimate truth. It ends there. How do we do that? I mean, I think schools are trying to do that. I think that we have, um, since 2015, a legal obligation for schools to teach fundamental British values, which include equality and tolerance and respect between the different peoples of different faiths, individual liberty. Um, So I I do think that is being written into the very nature of British schools. Um, But I think the struggle is more in how uh, certain groups are vehemently and in times aggressively holding their truth above others and teachers don't know how to deal with that challenge in the classroom. So although although they may be teaching these values and they may be building curriculum around these values, we've had, for example, recently three incidences now um, where LGBT, two LGBT Muslim uh, teachers and one just LGBT teacher have been um, opposed very passionately and recorded on on phones by uh, groups of Muslim students in the classroom um, saying you can't teach your sin here and um, you can't be LGBT and Muslim. Um, One of the LGBT Muslim teachers faced uh, death threats and pictures of chopped up bodies saying that he will be next. And the schools don't know how to deal with this because they then face huge pushback from the parents and we have these very nasty islamist organizations in the uk that are using this issue and creating like 
activist sort of movements um they use news platforms and media sites islamist ones to put these recordings out of the teachers and to write about it and to rally more parents and they managed to garner huge crowds outside these schools um which is very intimidating to schools very intimidating to the teachers and this i think is the real issue although we have the law in place and we have the culture in place in the schools to teach equality um we've got such an aggressive pushback right now um and schools don't know how to respond to that without then being perceived as being racist it's a it's really difficult political sensitive situation now uh, one more issue that uh i want to talk about because this article has recently come uh what was it the telegraph has uh, has published uh, an article on 18th april 2023 by neil johnston he's a senior news reporter there which the tagline is muslim pupil tells hindu classmates to convert to islam to avoid bullying um now obviously it is related to a lot of work you are doing now let me put this in context again this is a unique place where hindu kids are always going to have a problem because you know a, a lot of people in the west have seen hari krishna going around dancing and maybe they might but there is no and i again use this word with full responsibility and no shame abrahamic religions not judaism but christianity and islam have a problem of predatory proselytization i am not saying they should not be allowed to proselytize i am not saying that a freedom to propagate religion is something uh, no matter how cringy i find as a disbeliever it should be allowed like when i used to live in canada i used to have these weird moments where muslims and christians would come to me and try to convert me i used to find it so weird and let me explain to you why i used to find it so weird because as a 20 year old kid who was born and raised in mumbai not once did i ever face it in my hindu circles no hindu came to me <laughs> and told me do you want to go to krishna or do you want to go to shiva or do you go here it's just not a thing in our culture and then you are suddenly exposed to this predatory system where why uh, the christian wants to save you and the muslim wants to give you dawa it's it's very annoying and i again say this with full responsibility it is annoying so how do schools deal with this like no conversion allowed inside the school premises then Well, I don't think that's I think that's even possible, you know. Um I think I think it's about how people interact with other children. You can try and share an idea and convince someone of your idea and you can believe that taking up that idea would be really good for them without being hateful. Um and that can be done about many different things and I don't think we should ever uh, limit people's ability to share ideas and try and convince people of them. because there there will somewhere in all those ideas be a good idea that we've then limited um so i do think we must be able to share ideas but it's about being able to push back against those ideas safely and it's about sharing ideas without being hateful intolerant or intimidating so threatening someone with hellfire or saying that they're going to go to hell you know if they don't adopt this idea is hateful and intimidating saying to someone you have an idea about how the world works you think it's good you'd like them to hear it it's not hateful and intimidating fair enough now now let's get into other bits 
Now, obviously, the report has uh, uh, finally someone has given a working definition of Hindu phobia again in a report. Otherwise, people keep uh, complaining about this. I don't want to focus on the full disclosure. I actually am opposed to all kinds of things like this. Like, I don't believe Islamophobia is real. I don't believe Hindu phobia is real. That's just my view. I also don't like the word phobia, which is why I said anti-Hindu hate, you know. Um, And I, I do include... A definition of Hindu phobia because it's something that a number of academics have been working towards and that's the term they've used and it was useful because it, it laid out examples and it was it was a good and robust definition but I would much rather use anti-Muslim hate, anti-Hindu hate, um, I mean for two reasons, one being that phobia being a fear is a, is a very silly way to look at this, this is not a, this is not a fear, hate and prejudice is not always fear-based um, but also that we want to be able to engage and debate and critique around these issues. We want to engage and debate and critique about what is written in the Quran, what is written in the Bible, in the Torah, um, what is, is a part of the different texts that feed into Hinduism. And if we create something that says Islamophobia, then that in the very essence of the word says that we are not to critique and engage with the ideas. Um, so I have strayed away from from that that word here, but I have tried to incorporate different opinions on how we can form a, a definition just to use for the purposes of, of uh, the report and the purposes of helping support teachers and understanding what they're looking for in the classroom. All right. So now let's get into one more issue. Again, I'll share my experience of uh, living in Canada and studying there. So this is about Hindu education in schools. I'll, I'll explain through examples. So when I went in Canada, I went to the library and I went to the library. I was like, okay, let's try to figure out what do they say about my culture and my people? Look, everybody has, every religion has standard pop culture stereotypes, right? Um, What is the pop culture stereotype of Christianity? Love. It is all about love. Nobody can deny that. That's the pop culture stereotype. Um, what is a pop culture stereotype that has been tried to be projected from the Muslim community? And by the way, I don't have any problems with these stereotypes because uh, as much as I uh, would, let's say, want religion to reduce, not saying I want to, but even if I wanted to, it's not going anywhere. People just like religion too bad for me. Now, the Islamic pop culture stereotype is Islam is a religion of peace. That is the stereotype. Uh, Sikhism has its own stereotype. Well, guess what the Hindu stereotype is? Caste, cows, and curry. That's the Hindu stereotype. And and you saw in the report that that is actually being taught in the schools. Not the cows and curry part, uh, but caste is coming into as young as primary school age classes on Hinduism. Um, And I mean, there's so many reasons why that is wrong um, and very angering. Uh, because, and I, th- I think the main one, even coming away from the fact that you can argue that there are elements to which castes comes from parts of the scripture, and you can you can talk about the extent to which it is still still in India, which it, which it is, and how much that might be related to Hinduism. But it's actually not about that. It's about the approach we take to teaching religion in schools at a young age, which is at primary school level. It's about teaching tolerance and a positive understanding of each other's beliefs. We do not teach children at primary school age about Islam and start talking about 
some sections are radical. Look at what happened with 9-11. Like, absolutely not. We talk about the key tenets of the faith in a very positive way, in a very kind of shallow, positive, Here, here's your ABC of Islam, here's your ABC of Christianity. But then it comes to Hinduism and it's, let's draw some gods and talk about the caste system. Yeah, and, and you know what the funny bit is? I only know one country in the world where Hindu hatred has been made an art form inside the school curriculum. There's only one country because I read their text. It was Pakistan. And to find these kinds of things in the Western world, where the Western world now has reduced itself to be compared with Pakistan, a, a theocratic state, is, is a damn shame. You know, this is like you're born a Hindu kid, then you go in Western schools, and then a target is put on your back or, a, or your forehead, literally. It's like, yeah, this guy has this. Look, the whole purpose of teaching milk toast religion, feeble versions, pop culture religion is everybody feels good. Oh, all religions are nice. I know. I mean, just imagine Christian kids going to school and they say, oh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy says stone the homosexual. Right. I'm not making it up. They do say it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that, 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 you, you mean, that's the nail on the head there, really. Um, you could start looking at these complex issues maybe at a level but we're talking about primary school and secondary school here and i don't think this is coming from pakistan you know i i, I know you didn't say that but you said it comparing it to pakistan how awful but i actually think this comes from a real colonial mindset in the uk this is this comes from our own christian background here in the uk and the perceptions from the bible on perceived polytheism however you take it I know some Hindus say it is some Hindus say it isn't but um it's that perspective on polytheism and the place in which Christianity came from at a time that was um what well, pagan in culture and and that how that was a move against that and then that's written into the text and then that's written into the very culture of the UK then the UK goes and colonizes India and it's a very, very arrogant and disrespectful perspective on Hinduism that then feeds into the early textbooks and the early way in which that's taught. And, and that hangover hasn't gone anywhere. So that bias, that prejudice outlook, that Abrahamic supremacist outlook hasn't gone anywhere. And now we're dealing with a situation where we've got increasing extremism and communal conflict in the UK, we've got rising diversity, we're getting... Uh, hateful narratives from Pakistan penetrating the diaspora and the teachers and the textbooks are still spewing colonialist crap about India. So it's, it, it's you know, really an equation for disaster. Not only is it an equation for disaster, it is going to create such a huge problem of Hindu hatred in the long run. And they're not realizing is now you guys do suggest uh, you know some solutions too and i want to focus on the solutions but uh, i just want to take a question from a live viewer because i think it's a very sensible question and this is uh, a, a young hindu guy uh, who lives in canada uh, and uh, the person has asked then what should the parents do in this scenario should they take the child from out from the school because the other you know the other side in this case being the state apparatus 
they're not going to be teaching their kids how to integrate and stuff like that so what does a hindu parent do in this scenario where they feel their child is constantly being challenged on the time it's really very difficult i mean on a practical sort of level from my the benefits schools and society going forward which is the unemotional response here there's obviously an emotional response but taking the emotions out of it the thing that would best benefit practically the hindu community going forward would be making complaints to the school going and speaking to teachers um speaking to other hindu parents and um, trying to create parent groups that can then go forward and speak to the teachers in force and doing following all the kind of steps that raises the issue and puts pressures on the school schools and, and lobbying uh, governors and uh, parliamentarians and that sort of thing but also you're dealing with the fact that your child is feeling unsafe and the kind of cases that we saw we had one boy that had to move school three times in east london because the anti-hindu bullying was that bad so i mean on an emotional level if your child doesn't want to go to school anymore there was a lot of that in the report too my child just doesn't want to go to school anymore or we've had to remove the tlac because it's just causing too many problems um when that's the case you have to do what you can for your child and move school but you know it's an incredibly difficult um thing. i actually did it <laughs> at issues at school um but but moving school is is really hard and a real toll on on everyone and um but i think in, in some of these severe cases that's actually the only answer so something very interesting that i figured out in canada by the way because uh, there is no official report being done in canada right now but if surveys are done they'll find similar patterns over there but uh, credit to one of the school district boards over there what they started doing about this was they have these heritage months every every month so they will have a islamic uh, islam heritage month they will have a christian heritage month they will have let's say x heritage month so uh, one of the months in canada is um, hindu heritage month so what happens is at that time of the month there are special occasions created in inside the classroom where different students or parents or a mixture of parents and students and teachers can come together and actually teach the children about the culture of that heritage uh, which is being celebrated at that month there are presentations being done there are small programs being done and there are key things being done uh, uh, and and do you think something like that should be done in the united kingdom maybe it could sensitize people more that look there are there are other ways of doing this too and maybe we need to have some respect for other truth claims too so we do have things like world culture day and black history month um so we we do have that i would actually be really worried in the current climate in the uk that something that even looked at celebrating hindu culture would be attacked for being hindu nationalist and we would um actually see a really nasty response not in the school but if it was done in a in a bigger way if it was done via social media or something that was done in the streets of london i actually would be really worried about that i don't know if um you're aware that we recently had a attack on the indian high commission in london mm -hmm. um so the the situation is, is is quite tense uh which you know this i think that's probably one of the most damning things i could say really is that we're at a point in the uk where if you held an event like that in some parts of the uk it wouldn't actually be safe 
Well, that's not a nice thing to say about <laughs> UK. Mm, it's insane. So now, uh, in a in a very light manner, so how does it feel to be called uh, a Hindutva agent? <laughs> that happened now. <laughs> um, I mean, congratulations. Um, I am all sorts on on social media. God. Um, like, do these I people know you're left wing? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, to be left wing nowadays seems to be right wing. Uh, the politics have gone mad. I mean, I I do my job. I I research on issues facing minority groups. I research on a multi-factor uh, kind of uh, different uh, ethnic groups. So my PhD is on Ahmadiyya Muslims and the plight that they face in the UK. And then uh, we're obviously just something on anti-Semitism. We're looking at anti-Hindu hate. I'm about to move on to freedom of religion um, across the board, actually. So it, it is it is mad. Um, you'll also find, you know, I work in a think tank where we get called to go on the news quite a lot to talk about different things. And I refuse to go on and talk about things that I think are right wing. So I've been asked three times now to go and talk about, I don't know if you know about this, but sending our ref refugees to Rwanda. Um, and I've refused three times to go and talk about that because I think that that is um, a, a, a deeply, uh, I mean, it's a more visceral reaction to the idea of sending refugees to Rwanda. It's so um, insulting and um, and awful. So so yeah, uh, I I kind of laugh it off when I get these these things because you know you know who you are in yourself and you know what you're doing. And I know that every piece of research that I do stands in fact and follows um, methodology that can't be argued with. Um, and is backed to the hilt with references that go right to the original source. Um, so there's nothing I've ever done or said that can ever be picked apart or actually seen to have some sort of agenda. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't bother me too much. It saddens me. I don't know. Uh, some some people who are watching today might have watched a debate I had on NDTV uh, with a professor from Oxford, and actually actually makes me sad that there are people in such important positions and influential positions who would take the first ever report onto anti-Hindu hate in the UK and turn it into uh, an attack on, on, on me and my organisation being right-wing and politicise it all and negate the findings, make no attempt to engage with the findings or the issues that Hindu community face. And she was Hindu, right? She was also Hindu. So to have no engagement with that at all and just dismiss it and say it's political, that's that's really sad and really worrying. But that's what we're up against. And that's why I say, you know, even to look at Hinduism at the moment in the UK is to be right wing. Um, I, it's something I've just written about for the Jewish Chronicle about how both actually the Jewish community and the Hindu community are both similarly facing the situation where to come to their defense is seen as, as right wing. And I, I think it comes down to the fact that the Hindu community are very well integrated and successful, relatively doing well financially, and that immediately puts you in a class of not, you know, not the oppressed, but the oppressor. And White adjacent. That's the word you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the establishment. Why, uh, horrible words like coconut are thrown around and things like this. It's just, it's this leftist lens of if you are in line with the establishment or if you are in some way seen as having authority, then you cannot be oppressed. You must be a part of the oppressors, 
and therefore you must be critiqued. Um, and that that's where Hindus have ended up uh, alongside the Jews, I think, and and white men. Yeah, it's it, it's quite an uh, quite an interesting club to be part of. It's very interesting. Like, what happened to the good old days where we could have conversations about issues without judging? I mean, who cares? I've been very open about my political biases and uh, political leanings. I've never hidden them. But beyond that, I'm still a human being, and I should be in a position to talk to people, irrespective of that. But we just live in a very polarized way. And what you're suffering is, uh, I don't know how to put it. There was a political class in India that was used to some privileges. And those privileges extended overseas. In 2014, this political class lost politically in India. They thought it's a temporary thing. We'll come back again. But they lost again in 2019. They know they'll lose again in 2024. They just cannot digest it. So now they lash out their anger about their political outfit. Because look, all of these people, and I say this with no shame, most of these academics who are Hindus, they have been pushed and propped through Indian systems over there. And it is what it is. And, and their only way to raise to the top was basically hating India and hating Hinduism by and large. I, before somebody comes up with an exception, I'm talking about averages. I'm not talking about the exception. And you're just stuck in the crossfire because you're like, okay, I'm just a researcher reading things. Hey, that sucks. And then they're like, oh, how dare you say that sucks? Don't you look at me, white lady. I'm the brown person. I'm telling you, hate them. So you better listen to me and hate them. But besides that, before we wrap it up, there's one more question. So again, this is coming from a Hindu kid or a Hindu man. I'm assuming, is that if acting against anti-Hindu things can be seen as anti-secularism or whatever, what do Hindus do? Then do Hindu organizations actually end up opening their own schools then? Because if if this is the way they're going to be othered. I mean, there already is a situation, for example, in Leicester, where there are schools that are Hindu majority and there are schools that are Muslim majority and parents will choose uh, which schools they want their, their kids to to go to and they will move closer to that school to be in the right catchment areas for them um so so i think that's that's already happening and um yeah i i, I do think we're we're in for more issues really um we need to get to a point where we can bravely discuss these topics and we can work on tackling extremism without being worried about seeing being seen to be right wing and there'd be protections in place around schools if there's going to be mass crowds turning up at the gates and that head teachers can be encouraged to be firm on these values because if we don't have that we don't have the protection afforded for schools support to the schools then it will get to a point where everyone will send their kids to the school where they think their peers are going to treat them well so basically uh, multiculturalism that started about you know, putting people together, making sure that they interact with each other, mix with each other, learn of well, each no, other. No, 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 no. Our multiculturalism started in the back of World War Two, and we put people in different uh, areas and actually didn't encourage integration and cohesion. And it's the failings of the early multiculturalist project that sees us in the divided position that we're in now. Mm, so basically, multiculturalism was another fancy word of ghettoization. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, 
multiculturalism, this idea that everyone should have their different cultures and be left to themselves and that we should just have a, um, everyone is different but equal and everybody's beliefs and values are different but equal has got us to a point where we've tolerated intolerance and certain groups have been able to push intolerant ideas under the protection of multiculturalism. Hmm. They clearly did not listen to Karl Popper then. That's all I can say. <laughs> all right. So before we wrap it up, uh, uh, is there anything uh, that uh, you think we we skipped and you would like to mention? Um, I think I think you know if anyone is is interested in sort of what we're going to be doing next, we're we're going to be pushing the policy recommendations, which are very heavily uh, focused on. In, increasing the quality of teaching of Hinduism in schools. Um, we're going to be looking at setting up consultancies on that and support to schools. And um, I'm probably going to help with that and not be too heavily involved. It's not my area, but sort of help 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 people on their ways with those projects. Um, and then we're pushing for a change in bullying policy at schools that actually schools record the types of bullying and that, that those records go up to the Department for Education. So we know what's happening in schools and we know how to give the schools then the targeted support that they need. Um, so yeah, I think that those two twofold recommendations are really important. But also we've looked at our prevent strategy, counter extremism. It's been found to be really lacking, that there isn't that expertise around Islamist extremism and that the anti-India narrative coming from Pakistan is actually having a real impact on our diaspora. And that's just going unnoticed by prevent practitioners and unchallenged. So it will be continuing to beat that drum. Um, we know that it, it, I think it's in a few days now, actually, Colin Bloom reports coming out. It's been waiting for it for years um, on religion in the UK. And it's going to actually look at something that we haven't spent time looking at, but we're starting to really feel the effects of. And that's Khalistan separatist extremism in the UK. Um, so my attention is going to be turning to that imminently. Well, I look forward to uh, to your work over there, Charlotte. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. You keep doing your work. Uh, uh, you, you're doing fantastic work. And if one day you find uh, problems in the Hindu community also, you go after them too. And you showcase that too. And I will call you on the podcast and we will discuss that too. You keep doing your work and it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Krishna. All right, guys, we'll wrap it up. As always, uh, the link to download the report is there in the description of the podcast. I would highly recommend all of you to go to the website and uh, download the report, read the complete report. I think you will gain a lot out of it. Also follow Charlotte on Twitter and you know the drill. Please subscribe to the Charbuk Podcast YouTube channel. Like this video, leave your comments in the comment section. And if you want to support this podcast, you know that this is a member-driven podcast. So please become a member on YouTube, Patreon, Fanmo, or buy the merchandise on kushalmehra.com. I'll see you guys next time. Until then, namaste. Take care. Bye-bye.